Welcome to the Basana Health and Wellness Podcast. At Basana Health, we focus on whole body wellness, connecting physical, spiritual, and mental well-being. We are wellness collaborators with our members, and we embrace our community partnerships. Basana Health promotes holistic and functional care while focusing on transformative lifestyle changes. Welcome to our podcast, where you can take a virtual step towards optimizing your own health and wellness. Welcome to the Basana Health and Wellness Podcast, episode number 29. Today we hear from Basana Health's physician assistant, Susan Eichhorst, who teaches us about autoimmunity. Listen in to learn about the different types of autoimmunity disorders that are out there and what types of lifestyle changes you can do for better health outcomes. Listen in, you won't want to miss out. I'm Susan Eichhorst, and welcome to the Basana Health and Wellness webinar series. Today, I'd like to talk about a topic that is really near and dear to my heart because it's affected nearly every one of my immediate family members, and um, myself included, obviously. I have had three autoimmune conditions in my lifetime, and really hoping that I don't acquire my fourth before we're all done. But autoimmunity has really become a very significant condition for many people with projections of one out of seven men developing autoimmunity in their lifetime and one of five women developing autoimmunity in their lifetime. So this really is something that can affect so many different people in many ways. Autoimmunity is really when our own immune system attacks ourselves. Oops, that's probably not a good idea. So first I thought we should talk about the immune system itself. The immune system is a very complex network of cells and proteins that the body uses to mount a defense against infection through the production of antibodies. The immune system is pretty savvy and it keeps a record of every microbe that it's met in its life so it can respond and defend very quickly. And we see this in a good example of just the common cold. You know, it's pretty well established that we do not get the same cold. We get a different variation or mutant of the rhinovirus or other viruses. And that's why somebody may get sick with one, other people don't, because our immune system has already been triggered that it has seen many of these variants. So when our immune system is up and working appropriately, as I said, it protects us from bacteria and viruses and parasites and fungi. It also knows how to recognize cancer cells, which all of us have in our system, as well as foreign bodies like wood splinters that it sets up an immune response to. There's a wide cast of characters that make up our immune system. And this is a nice diagram of those types of cells. The little guy in the middle is the macrophage, and that is the cell that likes to kind of Pac-Man and chop up and eat different cells. That's what's responsible for recognizing cancer cells in our body. The two that are probably the most important for autoimmunity are the B lymphocyte and the T lymphocytes, because those are the type of cells that develop into antibodies, and in our case, autoantibodies. Autoimmunity, as I mentioned, is really when our bodies attack ourselves. These autoantibodies can be present and sometimes with or without symptoms associated with them. That's part of the big problem. They can also be very nonspecific. So somebody may ask their doctor to check for autoimmunity. It's not uncommon to get kind of a um, generic evaluation of an ANA testing, but this doesn't really tell you what you may have, just that you have some antibodies. And the problem with autoantibodies is that they do present and cause 
cell damage, the cell damage develops into more progressive disease, then tissues and finally organs are involved and damaged. And eventually that may lead to a diagnosis. There's many, many, many typical symptoms of autoimmunity. The most common are probably just feeling fatigued, tired, you may have an unexplained weight gain or loss, dry mouth, dry eyes, itchy rashes or hives, even hair loss, although none of these are specific to autoimmunity because hair loss can happen because you had a COVID infection six months ago or a major stressor six months ago, but you may not be fully autoimmune. You may just be having a response to that event. There are nearly over 300 different conditions that have been linked to autoimmunity. It's theorized that there's kind of a weakest link as to which tissues are affected because at the, the core of all of this, it's much of the same pathology, but one person may end up with lupus, somebody else in the family may have Crohn's, another person may have Parkinson's, but all of them can be aided and healed through many of the same factors, even though they're very different diseases. So as I mentioned, these are some of the kind of common autoimmune conditions that people are familiar with, although there's hundreds, but in addition to the few I mentioned, there's also Hashimoto's thyroiditis, where that patient will probably end up with a hypothyroid given time. Graves' disease is the opposite condition where the autoantibodies trigger one of the hormones in the thyroid to not turn it off. And those patients like myself become hyperthyroid. Psoriasis is a common autoimmune condition, fibromyalgia. There's many interstitial type diseases of the lungs, of the kidneys. So numerous different named conditions can all be linked to the same problems. There is an extremely high association with gluten and autoimmunity, but there's also a high association with dairy products, corn products, and soy because of sensitivities. And really the bottom line for almost all of this is a leaky gut, or what we also call as intestinal permeability. That's really at the root cause of why we become autoimmune. So here's just a nice diagram of some of the tissues that can be affected by an autoimmune attack. As I mentioned, thyroid, that's very common. In fact, Hashimoto's thyroiditis is probably the most common autoimmune condition out there, but it can affect the brain and the nervous system, as we see in multiple sclerosis, autism, the bones and the joints, as in rheumatoid arthritis and ankylosing spondylitis, also polymyalgia rheumatica. You can have skin issues with eczema, psoriasis, scleroderma, vitiligo, the lungs, the nerves, GI tract, blood, all of these can be tissues that can be attacked by our own autoimmunity. So there's three major factors that are associated with autoimmune conditions. There's almost always a genetic predisposition. So your family history gives you a lot of different clues as to what could be going on and what's in your future. But consider that your family history really only contributes about 10% of your total outcome. And sometimes you have to look back a little bit to find out that family history. First of all, most of us don't talk about things with our family, like what conditions are going on, but also somebody could be autoimmune and have died early before this presented as a real condition. Someone else may not know that they have this condition, even though they're having all the symptoms, it's never been diagnosed. So that's a good clue, but again, it's just a piece of it. You next need some kind of a trigger or what we call the invading antigen. This is where gluten comes in. People have such a high sensitivity to gluten. 
The other one is in milk protein and specifically the A1 casein protein. There are two casein proteins in dairy, A1 and A2. Our American cows are primarily bred for A1 casein because these cows tend to produce higher quantities of milk. However, the A1 casein protein is highly reactive to humans. So many, many people do have reactions to dairy. They may be able to tolerate some sheep or goat, but it really depends upon your condition and how much you're affected if you want to keep these foods in your diet. Other things that can trigger that are viruses. There's a speculation that having a past history of an Epstein-Barr virus puts you at a little higher risk for an autoimmune condition. Virus infection has been uh, speculated or theorized with the development of multiple sclerosis. So viruses can have this component to act as an invading antigen against your immune system to attack yourself. And then also stress. Stress is highly correlated with autoimmune conditions. And then lastly, and probably one of the more important aspects of developing autoimmunity is the leaky gut or intestinal permeability that allows these antigens to get into the bloodstream for our immune system to even react to them. So the symptoms may not be present for more than 10 years after these autoantibodies develop. There may be some mild transient symptoms or mild conditions, even major conditions that kind of come and go that are really just kind of written off and really are missed as true red flags for what is happening. There's multiple types of antibodies that can be present at the same time. This is quite common. And as I mentioned earlier, we kind of look at the weakest link as to which tissue may be the target. So we do have lab tests that can look for autoantibodies and we can find these fairly early so we can predict if autoimmunity will happen or if it's already going on. Women are disproportionately affected by autoimmunity compared to men. Here, this shows 10 to one likelihood of females to males to have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Lupus is nine to one. Sjogren's, where it's a drying of the mucous membranes and cells, nine to one, you can see these yourself. Some of this understanding of why women are disproportionately affected is probably has to do with how sensitive we are to the chemical estrogens out there. You know, I really encourage people to get rid of plastic bottles. Please don't keep your food in plastic containers in your refrigerator and absolutely don't microwave in plastic because those are estrogen or endocrine disrupting chemicals and specifically affect many of the estrogen receptors, which women have much more activity of. There are numerous reports that do show that these chemicals are harmful to us in the long run. Here's a great diagram that I found that I was hoping would help to understand a little bit more about this leaky gut syndrome or intestinal permeability that we talk about. What this cell membrane should look like, this is a picture of, if you look at where it says leaky and inflamed, normal mucosal membrane, those words, that's where your food is in the intestine. Then the cells are lined up on top of your bloodstream. And they really are just one cell layer thick. That's it. On top are these little outpouches or protuberances that we call microvilli. And microvilli are really important because that is where our nutrients get into that cell and then transfer through and get into the bloodstream so we can actually get those nutrients. And each little microvilli is specific to a specific nutrient. In celiac disease, which is probably one of the more 
well-known autoimmune conditions, although it's very, it's not very common, probably less than 1% of the general population has celiac, fortunately. But those microvilli are blunted in those patients if they continue to eat wheat and gluten. And so they become malnutritioned. For the rest of us, that doesn't happen, but we may have gluten sensitivity. With gluten intake, what happens is these cell membranes where they should be nice and tight so that there's a barrier between the gut contents, the food and the bloodstream, they become compromised and the glue that holds those cells together starts to break down. Here you can see the gap junction here where it does say leaky and inflamed and there's a gap there. That's where little pieces of undigested foods, these dietary proteins and little peptides, they can leak through into the bloodstream. Now, the bloodstream is set up with the immune system to find foreigners, like a bacteria or a virus. It doesn't know what to do with food. It's not supposed to see that. And so it starts to set up what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to protect us from these things. It sets up a response where it targets that protein in the food. But because of something called molecular mimicry, and I'm gonna slip over here, these antibodies are formed against these foreign pathogens, such as gluten, triggering molecular mimicry, and it attacks us as well as the gluten particle. This can be cross-reactivity between foods such as gluten and corn. So even with corn, and you may not have a corn sensitivity, if that corn has enough proteins that's similar to the wheat that's grown in the other fields, then you may have a reactive response to the corn. And autoantibodies frequently present many, many years prior to symptoms beginning. And because of this leaky gut, that process continues to go on and on unless that person changes their dietary intake. And again, gluten really does cause the cellular permeability for all humans. Not all humans react to gluten the same way. They may not have the same genetics to make that as reactive. They may have other components that they are not as reactive with. However, everybody does respond to gluten in some way. So autoimmunity is really on a spectrum. It develops over time. You don't wake up one day and you're autoimmune or you have a disease. The process can really start earlier in our 20s. Mine probably started pretty closely after birth because within six months, I was found to have a milk allergy. I had horrible atopic dermatitis, very severe eczema. I was taken off milk and dairy products and that pretty much subsided with the exception of this person wasn't all that good at staying off those products all the time. So I was constantly sneaking a little bit of ice cream here, a little bit of milk chocolate over there. So my eczema really did stay with me for many, many years until I really figured out how to get that controlled. And even then, I still let dairy into my life occasionally and get affected by some eczema. But do remember that this can affect numerous different types of tissues and organs. And that is why there are so many different conditions. So what are these triggers that increase this intestinal permeability? Well, it really does come back to the dietary choices, but stress can upset that, that barrier. An infection, uh, certainly antibiotics that might be needed for an infection can offset the bacteria that are in the gut and may alter that intestinal permeability. 
general inflammation, impaired digestion, toxins in our world, nutritional deficiencies. All of those can lead to this altered intestinal permeability or leaky gut, which then results in the food sensitivity and allergies and intolerance. In addition to that, you're going to have some malnutrition because your immune system is working so hard on these food allergies and sensitivities. Your gut is compromised, so you're not getting all the nutrients that you need. And your bloodstream has an increased uptake of toxins and something called lipopolysaccharides that I'll get into in a second. These all elevate your toxic burden and immune activation and developing disease. So you're not ill yet, Mr. Blendall, but you've got potential. Just stay with it. So it's really helpful to know your family history. However, you know, it's not everything. Autoimmune conditions have a genetic link, and that's why it's helpful to know family history and your own history. But condition, conditions also run in families. Some of that can be cultural. We eat the same foods, stressors within the families. But do know that your family history is really, they're little red flags, but they are not your outcome. And besides, you can't change your family history. You can't change your personal medical history, but you can change your future. So one of the major players that I did mention is something called lipopolysaccharide. LPS, these are normal exhaust, the breakdown of these gram-negative bacteria that live in our guts. Now, gram-negative bacteria are not the best bacteria for us to have. They are frequently a cause of infection, sepsis, pneumonia, but they do live there. They're okay to live there as long as they are not in a large abundance. But when we have a high intake of corn or palm oil found in much of our processed foods, we continue to feed into this gram-negative bacteria. The lipopolysaccharides actually become endotoxins when they leak through the gut wall and then accumulate in the bloodstream. And these can be deposited anywhere because they are free-floating in your bloodstream. An immune response takes place and then inflammation results. And eventually this also results in a leaky gut, which then brings more into the bloodstream. So what are our treatments for autoimmunity? Well, in the typical traditional modalities, we use steroids to calm down the immune response. So not uncommon when you have a flare of eczema or if you develop psoriasis, they may give you some topical steroids to calm that down. And it may work for a while, but really if you're not getting to the root cause, then it's just going to flare up again. We can also take a steroid as an oral presentation to calm the whole general immune system down. There's also immune suppressants. These actually suppress the immune response against the tissue. Typical formulations for that is Humira, Gelzans, Remicade, Stellara. You will see numerous advertisements for these on the TV. If you do listen to them, uh, take note that they're always smiling and happy, but I would say easily 80 to 90% of the ad is dedicated to all the side effects from these medications. I respect that there's a definite role for these medications. However, if you really want to get to the root cause, you can do that through diet, lifestyle supplements, and through a medication that I'll briefly talk about today called LDN. So what is this pathway back to health? Dietary choices is at the top. You know, I've heard some very wise mentors of mine, Mark Hyman, David Perlmutter, people that I really respect that I read extensively, say that 
roughly 70 to 90% of chronic illness would be resolved just by better dietary choices. It's kind of amazing. (laughs) That's always going to be first on our list. Lifestyle is also quite a large part of that. That involves stress management, exercise, community. And again, I'm going to mention LDN or low-dose naltrexone. So the biggest thing with a diet change is getting rid of these potential antigens. There are numerous foods that our bodies react to pretty highly. And even though some of these foods have been around for generations, they are now bred differently. They have different chemicals on them. They're processed differently. So our body doesn't recognize it as the same food that our ancestors may have eaten. The number one food that continues to come up from an autoimmune perspective is gluten and gluten sensitivity. As I mentioned, certainly celiac is a very important condition to discover because it can be life-threatening and will cause malnutrition eventually if not caught. But it is a small percentage of people and non-celiac gluten sensitivity is far more common. So always encourage people to get rid of gluten in their diet, particularly if they're autoimmune or worried about autoimmunity through their family history. But there's a large body of people that do not respond adversely to gluten. They are really more sensitive to the wheat itself. So our American wheat has really been hybridized into a whole different form of wheat than our, our, even than our grandparents were familiar with. It's called dwarf wheat. It has been hybridized to be very short and stocky. It has a much more abundant yield to the stalk where the grain is. It's easy to harvest and regrettably, it's heavily sprayed with glyphosate or Roundup because that stresses the plant and actually makes more yield. Unfortunately, we eat that Roundup anytime that we eat American wheat. So wheat is very problematic to almost all people. And I really encourage my patients to eliminate wheat from their diet. Barley and rye also have gluten in those, so those guys have to go as well. Dairy is really worthwhile eliminating, at least for this 30-day period. Many people actually have lactose intolerance that they may not know because it may not be as severe as they would expect. But again, the A1 casein is very problematic to most people. We encourage people to get rid of soy, and specifically because soy, again, is a GMO product here in the United States, which means that it can be heavily sprayed with Roundup or pesticides or herbicides, which again, we ingest. Corn, and that's really more specifically processed corn as opposed to corn on the cob, which I recommend if you're going to eat corn, wait till about July, have some good Olathe corn, some great corn on the cob. But as far as processed corn or corn products, much of it is GMO, much of it is highly processed. And again, for an elimination diet, it's really worth to get rid of that for 30 days. Sugar and sweeteners both preferentially feed bacteria that are undesirable. So it's worthwhile to get rid of those during your elimination diet. And then all the refined vegetable oils, that's your corn, soybean, sunflower, canola. These are all generally found in processed foods. So easy to get rid of if you get rid of processed foods in general, but also need to get them out of our diet, not our kitchens. And then I would eliminate any products that are GMO, genetically modified organisms. So what do you eat? Eat the rainbow and eat healthy meats. The real goal is to eat as many different vegetables as you can. I heard Dr. Terry Walls, who I'll mention in a few minutes, say that she tries to achieve up to 200 different vegetables every year. And 
you know, obviously there's many that she prefers or likes to eat more frequently, but I think many of us fall into that problematic area of we eat only broccoli or we have some green beans or, you know, we'll have a salad, but really you want to mix it up. And the reason is because you want to really feed the bacteria that live in our gut and each bacteria likes different foods. If you eat too much of one food, you may develop some of the viruses that are associated with that food that can disrupt your gut. You may have more food sensitivities to those foods. So really this nice compendium of rainbow and variability is really what we're looking for. Berries can usually be eaten pretty much unlimited. Fruits you want to be a little more careful with because they do have a high content of sugar. Certainly avoid juices because it is concentrated sugar and fructose. But berries, most experts say you can pretty much eat unlimited. Spices is one thing we kind of forget about. And we really want to mix up all these different spices into our foods just for the same reason. Different bacteria feed on them. They have different responses within our gut and our body. I appreciate that some people prefer to eat a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet, but I do endorse a meat-based diet myself. I am not anti-meat at all, but I'm certainly anti-industrial meat. I think it's very important that we concentrate on grass-fed, grass-finished meats, specifically for our own health, because they are very high in B vitamins. They're extremely high in omega-3 fatty acids, but also we need to worry about our farmland. We are losing arable farmland way too quickly. And industrial farming is just decimating the soil. When you eat grass-fed, grass-finished meat, those animals are left to live their complete life on a range, a set area that's got clover and different grasses and different green grasses that these animals eat. They also then poop onto the soil and regenerate that soil. It's actually regenerative farming that we all benefit from. In that same vein, we wanna look at pasture-raised poultry and eggs, as well as pasture-raised pork. And then wild-caught seafood is a must because farmed seafood really is way too precarious with the pesticides, herbicides that we are using in those on a regular basis. And then lastly, bone broth can be a really fine way to get these nutrients into your system without having to eat all of these foods all at once and can be very healing to the gut lining. Remember that the fastest growing cells in the body line the intestinal tract. This is why people get so sick with chemotherapy because those cells have such a high turnover that they are really affected regularly with chemo. But this is also why it only takes three weeks to start to see improvements when you change your diet. And when you can start to see improvements in how you feel and that your rash is going away or your brain is feeling better, your joints don't hurt as much or your muscles, then you tend to stay with these programs to allow your bodies to fully heal. Really important that we learn to reduce our stress. This has just become such a problem in our world. You know, we've almost accepted that stress is a normal part of, of life. And before our pandemic that started two years ago this month, we were all stressed out anyway. That was just called life and we were kind of used to it. But really these stress hormones, they weaken and damage the gut lining in and of itself. So they get into the bloodstream where they're not supposed to be from the gut lining. And then they send messages to the brain to release more stress hormone. So it's a total round robin, and it really just continues until you learn to reduce that stress. How do we do that? Yoga is a great way to do that. It allows you to use your body and your mind for 
breathing techniques and really can activate the parasympathetic system that allows us to calm. Meditation does the same thing. And even just simple two minute meditation has been shown to reduce blood pressure, reduce stress hormones. Tai Chi can be used to activate the body to really balance and um, use muscles in a better tone, but also again, activates the parasympathetic system. Exercise of any sort is going to be beneficial. Just taking a walk around the block is going to be helpful. And then Reiki therapy is a wonderful therapy that allows the body's own energy to heal the body. Go enjoy some nature, get some sunshine, go take a walk, walk barefoot to get grounded to the earth, play in the dirt, go garden. You know, we as humans have evolved to intimately interact with the bugs of the world. Unfortunately, we don't see a lot of these anymore because we spend so much time indoors. Our houses are hematically sealed. Some people never open their windows. Their air conditioning and heating is on all the time. We really need to get back out into nature so that we are exposed to these bacteria, to all these different living organisms that we cohabitated with for millennia. And then find your community. We're social beings. Our genes are positively activated by interaction. And these social interactions, they raise our endorphins. That's our natural opioids that help us feel better. It raises our serotonin, which is primarily made in the gut bacteria, and our oxytocin levels, which bring us comfort and bonding. And then hanging with positive people help you feel positive. You know, many studies have shown that if your community is in a positive realm, you're more apt to be on the same wavelength as them. If all your friends eat junk food, really hard for you to stay on track with eating healthier foods. So find your community, find people that are like-minded so that you can heal yourself and that you can be a good influence on them. And sleep. Sleep is one of those processes that so many th people think is just overrated. You know, I don't have time for sleep. I only get by on four hours. Sleep is not just taking a break from the day. Sleep is when we release this most important hormone that we make called melatonin. Melatonin is actually the most powerful antioxidant that humans make, and it is released when we sleep. This hormone helps clean up all the reactive oxidative species that we've made during the day. And if we don't sleep, that janitor, that cleanup guy, can't get in to help us clean up. This is not something that you can easily make up on a weekend or sleep in later for. You need good restorative sleep. Preferably try for consistency and going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time, even on the weekends. This sets a whole system going for your body to get into a rhythm. And then sleep in a pitch black room. This is probably one of the biggest problems that people have, you know, between an alarm clock that's got LED readout, between a printer that's sitting in a corner, your phone next to you that may have a light go that goes on when... Uh, somebody texts you in the middle of the night, even though the phone may not ring. All of these things affect our brains because of the blue light that does get into our eyes, even if our eyes are closed. So this is a new phenomenon with the electric light and now with all of our devices. So I really encourage people, put your cell on Wi-Fi and make sure your room is nice and pitch black. That will get you much more restorative sleep. And then upon arising in the morning, as quickly as you can, 
get to a bright sunlight area. This is going to set your circadian rhythm for the day. The more sunlight you get first thing in the morning or the blue light that gets your cortisol going, gets that cortisol up so that we can actually be functional human beings. And that's the highest level of cortisol for the day or should be. And then that actually sets you up for your circadian rhythm that night. So that's what we want to do with consistency, with getting up and getting the sun so that you get a better night's sleep each night. And then supplements can be a nice and important, helpful additive to diet and lifestyle. Uh, certainly probiotics are very helpful for so many people. A broad spectrum probiotic can provide a large array of different bacteria, but then you can also find some products that are really specific species and some stool testing can tell which specific species may be needed more than others. We have a better understanding of how these probiotics work in our gut. And actually a probiotic is any good bacteria. For instance, there's a specific bacterium called Echermacia. And I recently learned that if this is not present in the gut bacteria, then an immune-based chemotherapy may not be effective for that patient. Those are things that we need to start to recognize that to make other treatments work, we may need the, the right bacteria in the gut. Vitamin D3 has really started to get some good press through the COVID pandemic. Vitamin D3 is really a pro-hormone, but vitamin D3 is instrumental in regulating over 200 different genes in our body, but also right, helps regulate our immune system. I really strongly encourage patients, get your vitamin D level checked. Don't just make an assumption because you take a thousand IUs daily that your level is where it should be. The scale goes from 30 to 100, but really 50 to 80 is what we're looking for. Some people feel better when it's higher, but at least 50 to 80, we do know gives you good immune response and is really the most optimal range. Omega-3 fatty acids, this EPA and DHA formulations, this is what makes up our cell membranes and the myelin sheath that covers our nerves. The myelin sheath is what gets affected in multiple sclerosis. Omega-3 fatty acids are very important to maintaining these membranes and making new cell membranes. This you can get through certainly wild-caught fish, a number of supplements, and also grass-fed meat, grass-fed, grass-finished meat. I will clarify here when I say that grass-fed and grass-finished Someone can actually advertise that this beef has been grass-fed, and then they can leave it at that. They don't have to tell you that it went to the feedlot for three weeks before it was harvested. So you really want to make sure that that animal only ate a grass-fed diet for the longevity of its life. And that's why they delineate between grass-fed and then grass-finished as well. Another supplement that's really very worthwhile is selenium. Selenium is a very powerful antioxidant, reduces reactive oxidative species in our bodies, but it also is known to reduce the TPO antibodies associated with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And then zinc, and specifically zinc carnosine, has been shown to heal the GI tract. And then finally, low-dose naltrexone. I'm, I'm not going to spend much time here because I do plan to do another webinar in the near future specifically about low-dose naltrexone or LDN. I think this is just a very novel, important, wonderful option for people. 
I specifically take this medication and have for the past five years, mostly because I'm trying to avoid my fourth autoimmune condition. I don't honestly notice a lot of differences in my own self with this, but I do have many patients who have been taking this and have had some profound effects on their autoimmune symptoms. But essentially LDN is an opioid antagonist. That means it blocks the opioid from getting into the receptor. It blocks the receptor actually for the opioid so it can't sit in there. And to us, that means that it blocks our natural endorphins. These are our opioids. This is why you feel so good when you have sex, when you go out and take a, do, a big run, when you have heavy exercise, we raise those endorphins. But when we block them with a medication, and specifically with LDN, it blocks those endorphins from being produced for about four to five hours while the medication is active. And then when it wears off, our body says, whoa, where'd my endorphins go? And it makes more of them. And one of the major roles of our endorphins is actually to balance or repair our immune system. So unlike the immune suppressant drugs that I mentioned earlier, Humira, Stellara, Remicade, this doesn't suppress our immune system at all. It actually allows our immune system to not be in conflict. So it balances it out. It also has been found to act as an anti-inflammatory for these microglia, which is a, a cell in the brain. So for some people with depression, anxiety, uh, traumatic brain injury, Parkinson's, this can be a profound medication for them as well. And LDN is not specifically FDA approved. However, it is used off-label at 1.5 to 4.5 milligram doses, whereas the FDA approved formulation is 50 to 100 milligram doses. So hopefully if the FDA has approved something at that high of a dose, then a very low dose of that should not be a problem and it is not. There's a couple of side effects with LDN. Most of those are transient. And again, I will go into those in much greater detail when I talk on my webinar, which will probably be coming up next quarter. One of the most profound things that I think has really changed over the last couple of decades with and probably even more in the last decade, with respect to healing yourself and understanding your own conditions, but probably more important, being able to resolve them, is you get to become an expert now. This was not possible 20 years, 30 years, 40 years ago. The medical community really held their secrets pretty close to the chest. In fact, you know, 50 years ago, there were some instances where we didn't even tell people that they had cancer. We just kind of got them through, let them die, and kept them in the dark. And things have really changed since then. And here's just a little array of a number of books that I find very powerful and helpful. And they are there for you to learn as well. Most of them have enough biochemistry in them to teach us practitioners. That is part of their point of being written as well. But really, there's enough easy to read digestible information that you can incorporate into your life so that you can learn about your own condition and you can heal it. Probably some of my favorites here is the autoimmune fix there in the middle by Dr. Tom O'Brien. He is a, a chiropractor who has pretty much spent his career on gluten sensitivity and autoimmunity as his specialty. And then over on the left side is food. What the heck should I eat? That's by Mark Hyman, as is the 10-day detox diet. That's a great 10-day way to eliminate. Although most experts will say, if you can give it 30, you're really going to have some profound effect. I really 
really respect Dave Asprey. He is not a medical professional. He was fortunate enough to marry a functional medicine doctor. So he's got a good resource right there, but he's kind of a self-made biohacker. He's learned many ways to improve his health so that he can continue aging more gracefully. And he had Hashimoto's in his past. So he, he was autoimmune. And then down there on the Walls protocol, that's Dr. Terry Walls. Dr. Terry Walls is an internist with the VA system in Iowa and part of the staff at the University of Iowa as well. And Dr. Walls was diagnosed with progressive MS, I think about 15 years ago, maybe 20 now, and obviously was profoundly affected by that and started looking into some options once she was continuing to fail despite all the current medications that she was given. And she has completely reversed her immune condition. She was in a motorized wheelchair making rounds in the hospital. And within, I believe, 12 to 18 months, she was back, I think 12 months, she was back to riding her bicycle back and forth to work and living more a real productive life. She has now developed a whole protocol. She's gotten funding from the Multiple Sclerosis Society to do some evidence-based studies and clinical studies and really is bringing to light just how powerful and impactful dietary and lifestyle changes are on autoimmunity and our outcomes. As I said, there's lots of help out there. Dr. Terry Walls that I just mentioned, Dr. Tom O'Brien, Mark Hyman, all of these folks can be found on social media, their Instagram, Facebook presence is very present. You can look at documentaries. Amazon Prime has got a pretty worthwhile documentary called Fed Up. It's a couple years old and it has more to do with a lot of the dietary issues just in general health, but does point out just how detrimental our food is to us. On Netflix, What the Health is a good overview of what's happening in our world. YouTube, I really recommend Living Proof. It's a great little documentary by a guy named Matt Embry who, like Terry Walls, developed progressive MS. It may have been another form of MS, but developed MS. In his 20s, he's a filmmaker, and again, annoyed with not a lot of options. His dad is a geologist, but a science scientist. And so between the two of them, they really started doing a lot of sleuthing, and they discovered what food sensitivities mean for autoimmunity, he went on to change his outcome and wrote his own documentary about it. And then um, Brain on Fire. Brain on Fire is very interesting about a young journalist, I believe with the New York Times, who developed a pretty rare uh, and quite uh, devastating brain condition that she recovered from. But one of those things that really could have been easily missed and not understood and she does recognize that she is very, very lucky. And some of these are just interesting to watch people's personal stories. I hope that people understand that health is really not just the absence of disease because you can be autoimmune for 10 or 20 years. You can have numerous symptoms. You don't have a disease yet. Nobody's diagnosed you with anything, but you don't feel good. It, health is really thriving in our mind, in our body, in our spirit. Here at Bassana Health and Wellness, we really take that as a priority. We want to help our patients find their pathway back to health, keep them on that pathway to health so that they can have the life that they are looking for. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about your own personal health journey and how we can help, we look forward to seeing you at Bassana Health and Wellness. Thank you. 
The Sauna Health and Wellness Podcast is brought to you by Atagi Plastic Surgery and Atagi Skin Aesthetics. Check us out at atagimd.com. A-T-A-G-I-M-D.com. We offer plastic surgery, skin aesthetics, non-surgical treatments, and hormone therapy. Some of the many things we offer include Botox, dermal fillers, Exilis skin tightening, Kybella, skin aesthetics, all therapy, Vanquish fat reduction, PRP hair restoration, PRP breast lift, and hormone health. Follow us on our website at atagimd.com to learn about all of our specials and events each month. Some of our specials include monthly discounts off products and services or wrinkle-free Wednesdays. Check us out at atagimd.com.